book of Nehemiah. It's been an amazing five weeks already of studying this. Um, we've been through an incredible journey. We started it off by talking about a God vision that God put into the heart of Nehemiah. And then secondly, how that was fueled by prayer and constant prayer all the time, the whole time. Week three, we spoke about how families were building together one to another, next to one another on the wall. There was families involved and it was a community project. It wasn't based on one man's effort. Then the week before that, we spoke about opposition and how when God gives us a vision and there's a work of God, we should expect opposition and what is his perspective on it and how do we move through it? And then last week was an amazing moment where we spoke about God not only wanting to restore the physical walls of the city, but there were brokenness inside of how the people related to one another and how generosity saved the city in the end. I think it's been an amazing journey. So this morning, we're going to continue. Um, we realized that in our ideal world, we would love to literally preach chapter for chapter, but that would put us 13 weeks into the book of Nehemiah. Um, so therefore, today and then next week, our last series, we're going to do some summarizing and pull out some things that we feel is essential for where we are at as a church. So this morning, our goal is to get through Nehemiah 6 to 8. We're not going to read all of it. I strongly encourage you to go back home between now and your small groups and just go and read it for yourself and see if there's anything that God is saying to you through these chapters that we're going to cover today. So here's some, some snapshots of what's happening at the moment. Nehemiah chapter 6 um, is an interesting chapter. So Nehemiah restored the generosity and he restored the law of God with regards to how people should treat one another in the city. And all of a sudden, there's some opposition to Nehemiah's leadership. The, the, the Bible that I'm reading from, the ESV says, uh, People are there, they came and they had a conspiracy against Nehemiah. So they came for the leadership. They said, listen, we're seeing that the people are doing their thing well. The Bible says that they had a mind to work, but we are going to now conspire against the leadership. And that's what chapter 6 is all about. And then we get to the end of chapter 6, and it's an exciting moment. 52 days later, and the wall is finished. 52 days. That's amazing. In 52 days, they completed all the breaches, they filled it up again, and it was a complete work. And then we see in chapter 7, now that the wall was complete, Nehemiah had to put a few things in place again that was important for the people of God. I love this. He put the musicians and the singers in place. The city of God will always be filled with singing. There will always be a singing and a praise of God. Some people wonder, why do you sing at church every Sunday? It's in the Bible, it is in heaven, and it's always been in his body that there is a singing people where God resides. The city of God and the church of God is filled with worship and music unto him. So chapter seven, he positions the singers at the right place and the Levites. Then he establishes again leadership over the city. And then I love this amazing part in, in chapter 7, it says, the wall was finished, but no homes have been rebuilt. That's interesting. So what it's saying is that the people only focused on the work of God before they started focusing on their own homes. And this comes out of the chapter before the book of Ezra, when the people went back to restore the temple. Remember, we started there, we said Ezra and Nehemiah is one story into two parts. 
They restored the temple before they restored the city walls. And God spoke to them through the prophet Haggai. You guys can go and read the book of Haggai, two chapters. It's an amazing story. And he says, why do you live in paneled houses while my house, my temple lies in ruins? And I thought about that. Isn't that interesting how culture clings to us in a way that we love redecorating, but sometimes when we think about building the kingdom of God, we hold back a little bit. And I think the people of Israel were still arrested by that word where God says, don't focus on your own homes, focus on my city, focus on my house. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, build my house and I will build yours. Make that your focus and I will come. And then we see that these people actually did it. The wall is restored, now they can start building their own homes. An amazing story of what God did in their hearts to do the work of God. And then Nehemiah counted the people, chapter seven, a whole lot of them, they were all coming out of exile, so it was amazing to just see how many people are back in their city. And then he counted their generosity, how much they gave to the work, how much they gave to the treasury. I said the other day, if you just put the gold together, it was 25 million rands worth of gold that the people gave to God and to the treasury so that there would be supplies in the house of God and in the city of God. So that's the snapshots of Nehemiah 6 and 7. And this morning I wanna lean a little bit more into 8 and we're gonna go a little bit back and reference chapter 6. And my message is called this morning, Words, the Word, and Worship. Let's all say that together. Word, the Word, and Worship. It's interesting to know this, and you'll hear this throughout the morning, words are not the word. It's important. We live in a day and age and time, and I guess we've always lived in such an environment where there's a whole lot of words out on street. Don't know if you know this, but men have approximately 7,000 words a day. I know some men with maybe 12,000, okay, maybe 15. Women, on the other hand, on average, speak 20,000 words a day. I just want to read a scripture, and I'm going to leave it at that. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Wherever restrain, whoever restrains his lips is wise. Settled. Who's more wise, a man or woman? Well, it's a little joke. I'm going to get in big trouble for this one. But think about it, you live in a house, I think about the Pharaohs, there are three sons, there's a daughter, there's Michelle, and then there's Ricky. And in Ricky's words, he says, you know what, one daughter in terms of energy and words equals three sons, and you see the math, because seven plus seven plus seven is 21,000, you see. So just think about Ricky's world, there's Ricky who's got 7,000 words, then there's Michelle who's got 40,000 words. <laughs> <laughs> then there's Danny, who's maybe, depending on the day and how she feels like, somewhere between 20 and 50,000 words. And then there's the three boys, like their dad, seven, seven, seven. That's a whole lot of words. We're going to 100,000 words here. And then we're constantly arrested by these things. Now let's take it to our thoughts. Did you know that you can think up to, let me get my, my math right this morning, 60,000 to 80,000 thoughts a day. That's not even your speaking, it's just what you think. That means 2,500 to 3,300 thoughts an hour. So while I'm speaking this morning, half an hour, you're gonna have about 1,500 thoughts. 
run through your mind. Hopefully no words, but just some thoughts. And I haven't even touched the opinion. You can go on social media and today coffee is bad for you because that's what the new word is on street. And then the next medical research comes out like one cup of coffee a day is good for you. And then next week, you know what? Two cups is not too bad. And then the week after that, the new opinion on street is no coffee whatsoever. And then you know what? Instant coffee is really good for you, but not originally brewed coffee. And then you know that that's demonic and people have lost the plot. <laughs> but it's amazing how the opinions change. And then you see people commenting on someone else's opinion. And we had the discussion this week. It's interesting how people comment with their opinions on opinions, thinking as if their opinion is going to change the other person's opinion. I have yet to see someone that changes their loud opinion on Facebook because someone countered their opinion with an opinion. So words, thoughts, opinions, it's all around. Therefore, we've got to understand that these words, and really, does it matter that much? Because there's the word. And if we get this right, there will be worship. So let me start here this morning. Words are not the word. If there's one point that you leave with today, point number one this morning, words are not the word. You can build on your 20,000 words, you can build on your 80,000 thoughts, you can build on the 100,000 opinions on the social media, but the city of God is built and established on the word of God. It always is and it's the only thing that keeps it sustained and keeps it going throughout. We see that Nehemiah understood this. That's why Ezra came and Ricky shared part of my sermon this morning and he read the word of God because the people of God had to be reformed according to the word of God. In the 1500s, God called a man, Martin Luther, and in 1517, he wrote the 95 Thesis because the church of God at that point were filled with the words of man. And there was a man who rose up and said, we're gonna go back to what it really means. And he wrote 95 points. He says, this is truth. This is what God has said from the beginning and this is still what stands. And then his whole church was reformed, one of the whole of it, most of it, reformed around the truth of God again. Words are not the word. The city of God esteems above all the word of God. We make that what we build on. So it's interesting. You go through chapter six and go and read it. It's a crazy story. Tobiah is still around. The big guy that got his buddy Sanballat and they opposed the work, he's still hanging around. He's still hanging around until the end of the story. And it's quite sad to see at the end of Nehemiah what happened to Tobiah. But he's around and he has a conspiracy against Nehemiah and he pulls some other people in. And then we see that they do four things with their words. First of all, there were reports. Nehemiah 6 verse 5 to 6. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. So here comes Sanballat and he says, I've got a letter and word is on the street that you, Nehemiah, and the Jews want to rebel against the king and you want to rule. 
It wasn't a true report. It was just word on the street. And you know what? I looked at it and I thought there was a temptation in there for Nehemiah. Because he heard it, not the truth, not the truth at all. He says, you want to rebel and you want to be king. Can you imagine for a moment, Nehemiah had the thought, that's not a bad idea. But Nehemiah knew that he can't build on the reports that is on street. He's got to build on what God has said and the word of God for his calling and his purposes. And he didn't respond to that in any way. We're going to see how he responded. But he just said, so what? Let the people talk. Because I know what my God has said and I know what we are about. And we as the church have to get to that place where like, if there's th things coming against us, we're like, we follow Jesus. And Jesus said that my church will be established and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So let the word be on the street because the word in the house is that Jesus is the head of the city and we will prevail. There are so many reports. The enemy comes and he says, yeah, word is on the street that South Africa is going down to the pits. And then people build their life according to a report. And sometimes there are very real reports. But the people of God build upon the word of God because words are not the word. Second thing we see is that they were own inventions. I love how Nehemiah responded to these open letters. He says, then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. Isn't that the human condition so many times? We just love inventing things out of our own mind. Come up with some good ideas. There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of thoughts. There's a lot of opinions. So let us go and invent something out of our own ideas. I'm not talking about God-inspired, intended ideas that is for the cause and the good of the city. I'm just saying, own inventions. Boermarker plan. I grew up in a culture and an environment where, yeah, opa had gesay. And then you think when opa said it, shush, it's got to be true. But then you, you come to a certain age in your life and you listen to what opa said. And you're like, did opa really say that? Because that's not in the word. It's that whole idea of, I love, the, you get to these websites where it speaks about the things Christians say. Own ideas, own inventions. Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. People quote it as if it's scripture. What does the word say? Not words, the word. Preach the gospel. Use your mouth and proclaim it. You see, it's important that we don't live on own invention. That we build according to what God invented from the very start. And Nehemiah knew this. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. I love this. We demolish arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now it's important to mention here that Christ is the living word. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And that word stepped into our lives and into this earth. I'm gonna read that again. We demolish arguments and every lofty opinion. Demolish is a strong word. It's an action word. It's a battle word. So where there, are, where there are own inventions and own ideas, lofty opinions, we demolish that because we live according to what God said in his word. That word lofty opinion means presumption. Do you guys know what presumption means? 
Let me read it to you this morning. It's an idea taken to be true on the basis of probability. Let's read again, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. We demolish arguments and any idea taken to be true because it is probable, because it raises itself up against the knowledge of God. That's how we as the people of God live. Nehemiah lived like that. And in the city of God, we've got to esteem the word and not words because words are not the word. Third thing that happens, it's getting more interesting. There was false prophecy. Let's read together. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. What happened is one of Nehemiah's friends said, Nehemiah, come to my house. Let's hang out a bit. So Nehemiah goes. It's a friend. He names him. You can go and read it. And he hangs out and this guy says, you know what? I've got a good idea for you. Why don't you go to the house of God? It sounds perfect, right? It sounds good. It sounds, why, why wouldn't you go to the house of God? Why don't you go to the temple and why don't you go and hide there because these guys are coming to kill you. So he was prophesying and saying, you're about to get killed, go hide in the temple. I wonder what would have happened if Nehemiah did it. But because he was building on the word of God, he said, this man will not do that. And he was speaking as a leader. Because if he was the one to now go and hide all of a sudden because the opposition was there, what would it model to his people? And he discerned in this moment that this supposed friend of his is coming with a word that was inspired by the enemy and based on probability, because maybe the enemy did want to come and kill him, but it wasn't true, it was fake. And I thought about this, and I'm holding attention here this morning, but can we be really careful when we share prophetic words? I'm not saying that when you're a follower of Jesus and you share a prophetic word, that it's the enemy working through you. What I'm saying is, can we be really careful and discern truly when we share a word to someone that it's birthed from God and it is God and it can be supported by scripture and can we submit it in such a way where it can be weighed and said, let's just look at this and see what God does. Because Nehemiah, being a man of God, might have thought, this is a word of God. And in fact, it's a good word. It's telling me to go to the temple. But he had discernment. And he said, I'm not doing this. This can't be God speaking because I know what he already said. And that's what he built on. Thirdly, we see that there were intimidating words. There were reports. There were own ideas. There were false prophecies. And there were intimidating words. He would get these letters. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. I want to ask you this morning, what mail are you reading? Are you reading the negative mail and the fear-filled mails of society that really does say that it's the end of our economy? You know what I love about South Africans is that we love our country and we believe to it all the way through. There's something about us as South Africans. We spoke about it this week. So many people returning to this nation was like, you know what, we're gonna stick through until the end. We're not gonna let the letters out there make us afraid and we build our life based on fear and not on faith. 
I don't, I'm not talking about people being called to another nation for a season or for a very specific purpose. But what mail are you reading? Are you reading these ideas that it's the end and it's difficult and it's tough? Or are you reading Psalm 139 that says you can't escape the presence of God? Doesn't matter where you are at. You can be in China under a table having church and my presence will be there. And I believe it'll be there. It'll be there. <laughs> Where the people of God gather unafraid because we've got to get together. You can go to the most God-forsaken place that you can imagine, like Varanasi in India, where I've been. And honestly, it is the darkest place I've ever seen or experienced. But I still felt the presence of God there. He says, you can go down to Sheol, the depths of darkness, and you'll find my presence there. Because to me, day or night is as day, and darkness is as light. So we're not going to be people who build upon the words and the, the letters that make us afraid. We're going to be people that build according to the word and the love letters that God has sent us and say, we will not be afraid. We're going to keep on doing what God has called us to do. So it's important to know this morning that words are not the word and the city of God is on a firm foundation. I'm gonna say that again. The city of God is on a firm foundation and by means of explaining this to you this morning, you might be walking, you think, you know what? That's a great idea. Someone spoke to me the other day and he said, I should consider doing that. And you put down an own invention. And then you might be reading a report and you're like, hmm, I see what they say. Let me put that down there. I'm going to build my life on that because that's a good thought. Wisdom comes from the fear of God. So when people fear God and walk in awe of Him and reverence of Him, true wisdom comes. I'm not saying throw out any other wisdom. I'm saying what are you building on? And then you might be reading a new good book. The new book is on street, so like, you know what, I want to build on something, so I'm going to find the right book to tell me this own invention and what I believe, because I read in an article, this book is going to support it. And then we read the book, and then, you know what, I'm going to go ask a friend, and then you go to the friend, and you really influence this friend, and says, you know what, I had this idea, and then I read this article, and then I found this book, so I think I'm going to do it. What do you say? By that time, the friend is like, well, do you really want me to say what I think? And then sometimes we as friends are a little bit hesitant to speak the truth, the word of God, because we don't want to offend. And then we just put these things down. We're like, you know what? I'm going to build with that one prophetic word that I once had. Not saying the prophetic word was wrong, but we don't build our lives according to it. We let God confirm it. You know what I love about prophetic words? It's for encouragement. It encourages us to be on the right track. And sometimes it's for rebuke and to set us on the right track. But if it is a true prophetic word of God, it will come true, right? So why do we doubt that it will happen? If he said it and it is truly him and we live a surrendered life, the prophetic word will take place. Now, we don't stop sharing them because we need the encouragement. We need the rebuke, but we trust in that. We don't build on that. And then you set up for yourself a lovely thing and you carefully place your life on that. You're like, okay, this is standing. The ideas are there, the reports Read, read it, I've got the book, spoke to friends, and you, you build like that, and then you know what happens? The first moment that something in life hits you 
it shakes a bit, and the second time, it falls down. Because you've built on words. But when the Word of God comes into play, I want you to hear this this morning. When the Word of God comes into play, and it's put down, you can build on this, and you can hit, and the house will remain standing. Didn't Jesus say, whoever hears my words and do it, will be like a man, like a woman who builds on the rock and they will be on a firm foundation. And in this church, and I believe that's the heart of God, in the city of God, it's always on a firm foundation at all times. And this is how we build and Nehemiah understood this. Let's not build on the dominoes of opinion and 20,000 words and 80,000 thoughts. Let's build on the word, which brings me to my second point. So now we're moving into Nehemiah chapter eight. And we already established that the word of God was right there at the beginning. In him, everything exists and it is Jesus and he's the living word. And that's what we, as people of every nation, some the West and the people of God build our lives upon. I honestly believe that any and every circumstance that you face in life, you'll find the right opinion in here. Might not be worded the way that you like it or would have liked to hear it and it might be different in outcome than what you hoped for but I believe that we serve a good God and that a good God and a loving father would even use difficult things in our lives to produce a fruit and make us steadfast in him so that we can remain standing on a firm foundation. The word of God is not a verse of the day Instagram post from ESV Bible quickly in the morning and then you've had the word of God and you've done for the day. The word of God is where the people of God take his word daily and sit in it and read it. And if you're feeling a conviction this morning, it's not because Pierre is angry with anyone because I'm human too and there are those days where I find it hard to make a moment to sit with the word of God. And I constantly have to discipline myself to say, I haven't read today. I'm gonna take time and read. And the more I do it, the hungrier I become for it, and then the more I do it. But it's not a quick post, and you can see it on, on social media. It's like, what's the verse of the day? You don't have to go to you version because 50 people have posted it already with the nice backgrounds. Now that's still the word of God, but we've gotta understand it. We've gotta we've got know this foundation what it looks like. And the only way in knowing it is spending time with it and studying it in a way that we really are people who know the word of God. And we see in Nehemiah chapter eight, first of all, these people desired the word. They were hungry for it. They said, Nehemiah, can you get the priest? Can you bring out Ezra? We want to hear the word of God again. And I can imagine why, because they've just come out of exile. They've seen what it looks like when people live without the word of God. And they said, can you come and remind us again what God said about us, his people, and how we should live. Let's read together. Nehemiah 8 verse 1. And all the people gathered as one. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. They said, we desire to hear again those beautiful, affirming, scary, fear-filled words of God 
Because at the end of the chapter, it said they were a little bit afraid when they heard the law again. But we're going to see how it ended up in joy, not in fear. We want to hear it again. We desire to hear the word. Amidst the 20,000 words of talking and 80,000 thoughts and 100,000 opinions, we want to hear the word of God again. Can we be a people who say that every day? Not spending hours reading all the other things and then neglecting the word. Like We love spending hours hearing the word. Ricky said four to five hours. And you know what? When we've done that, we understand our identity and who we are. It's okay to read the other things and to engage that as well. They desired the word. What I love about this part is I didn't say, Ezra, read us Psalm 23. We want to feel lacquer. They said, Ezra, read us the law. Where God spoke sternly and clearly about what it looks like when his people live a godly life. We want to hear that. We know Psalm 23. We know that the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want, but we want to hear what God expects from us. We desire to walk according to the firm foundation, which is his word. And then that's what he read. I love David's Psalm 119. I was told growing up in Sondag school that if you are naughty, I'm gonna give you Psalm 190 for homework. Anyone else? They're gonna have to go read the whole Psalm 119 next before next week for your homework. It was almost like a threat. Like, don't threaten me by reading the Bible. I'll go do it. Because it's pretty amazing. Like, thank you. I'll take that. And then you, you're being naughty so that you can go read Psalm 119. But Psalm 119 is incredible. Longest chapter in the Bible. But it's filled with David's delight in the law of God. The precepts and the ordinances and the boundary lines of what God intends. Let's read together. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Oh, how I love your law. And this was the cry of the people of Israel when the city was restored. We love the law of God because in that we will experience life. Ezra, please read it to us. We desire it. We want to hear it again. We don't go about paging through scriptures, just finding that one word of encouragement or the verse of the day to just get me going like, yes, I'm the head, I'm not the tail, let's go. I wanna hear what God says and I wanna hear all that he has to say. I wanna build my life on the firm foundation, not just on one flimsy thing or one thought or one idea on all of it so that I can remain standing strong. They did a behavioral experiment with children They've done it a couple of times. I went reading up about it. The latest one I could find was in 2006. Where they, the one was they put children in a field and it was a big field and they told the kids, there are no boundaries, go play. And the kids would just kind of dwindle around the center. And then they take them to another field and there were boundary lines by the trees all around them. And I said, listen, those trees, you'll find some fences there go and play. And these kids would run to the fences and touch the boundary lines. And they did the same in the playground. They would take children to a playground where there's no fences around. And they would tell the kids, why don't you play? And then the kids would be around the teacher the whole time. They want to find their security there. Take the same group of kids to another playground and there are boundary lines and fences and these kids have the best free play ever. See, the human was designed by God to have boundaries. 
There's measures and there's lines that God has put in place. We read it in the law. We read it in his word. And it's in that that we would live like kids playing in the best playground ever. That's what God has called these people to, to live according to that. Do we desire to hear it? Do we desire to study it? Do we desire to eat it and make it part of our lives? The second thing is they didn't only desire it and call for it and ask for it, they were attentive to it. They were paying attention. It's like sitting on, on, on the airport and you know that you've got to get on that plane and the intercom goes off and it always sounds the same. It's like, and then border call. And you, but you pay attention to hear whether it's the call that you need to get to your gate on time so that you can get on the flight, Right? These people were attentive to the word. Not only read it, and the moment Ezra's by hour two, the people are like, oh, goodness. It's the heat of the day. I'd like to go to my paneled house with my air conditioning and just watch a couple of Netflix episodes to relax a little bit. They were spending time attentively listening. Wow, God said that. God said that. Ooh, well, God said that. Kids, do you hear it? Do you hear what God said? Do you hear how we ought to live as people of God? Let's be attentive. Ezra just read that part. That's my favorite part. I love when, when, when I hear that part of what God said about us, his people. Oh, wow, God, you want us to do that? God, I'm sorry, I forgot to treat my slaves and those working for me in the way that you set it out in the beginning. Oh, God, I'm sorry that I've had that thought or that idea. They were attentive to the word. They weren't only hearing it. Can we be a people who desire it, but then pay attention? Carefully listen throughout the day, throughout our walk, when we hear, when we're in our small groups, when we're in our workplaces, God, I want to hear you today. I'm, putting, I'm, I'm, I'm turning my attention to you because I want to hear what you have to say in amidst the life of 20,000 words, 80,000 thoughts, and 100,000 opinions. And then the last thing is the people understood the word. Nehemiah 8 verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This is why leadership and the church that Jesus designed that we are part of today has given gifts like teachers and apostles and pastors and prophets and evangelists to equip the saints to give clarity, to give the sense so that people know how to live. That's why moments like this is never redundant. It is so important for us to sit around the word and, and read it in a way that it brings clarity. And you know what's even greater than that? You have the Holy Spirit. So every time that you read, he is the teacher that then teaches you with clarity to give you the sense so that you can be a people who understand the word of God. So in the city of God, we don't build on the words around us. We build on the word. We desire it. We're attend, paying attention to it and we have a clear understanding of what it is. And then there was a massive moment, a mighty uproar of worship at the end of this gathering. The people worshiped because they've heard the law of God again. That desire that they had for his words was fulfilled. They could lean in and they understood it. A mighty uproar of lifted hands and faces to the ground. Let's read together Nehemiah 8 verse 5 to 6. Ezra opened the book, the word of God, in sight of all the people. For he was above all the people. Let me quickly pause there. Did you know that they built him a stage for the occasion? It said that they built a wooden platform for the occasion of the proclamation of the word of God. 
I love this nuance in the Bible. A stage up front in a church is good and it's essential, but the stage is never for anyone to get on it and get a bigger head. The stage is never for anyone to get on it. It's like, ah, I've got my platform this morning. I'm going to use it to proclaim words. The stage was built for one purpose, so that the word of God could go out. And when the word of God came out, the people responded in worship. And then it said, he was above all the people. He opened it, and all the people stood. I've been in some church environments where whenever the Bible is read, people stand up. Now, you can do that religiously and out of tradition, but these people didn't do it out of religion. They just, God speaking. Whew. That's the word of God that they had in that moment. He's speaking. Can we just, can we show some reverence? Can we stand up and stand in, in attention to that? Do you stand up in your heart when you hear the word of God? I'm like, God, this is good. Do you awaken inside you? I'm like, I'm gonna move out of my slumber and stand up because the word of God is being spoken. That's what these people did. They had such an esteem for it that they stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered. I love how it says all the people, all the people, not just some of them, all of them answered. Amen, amen, lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There were no musicians, there were no hit songs, there were no psych up emotions. It was the word and it inspired a true and powerful, mighty uproar of worship amongst the people of God. And that's what I believe Jesus meant when he said, my father is looking for people who will worship me in spirit and truth. Yes, they will be singing. They're singing in the city all the time. But their response of worship is based on what I'm doing in the quickening of my spirit in them and based on the truth of my word. True worship is word inspired, not words inspired. If you want to truly worship God for who he is, you've got to spend more time in this. Because he's looking, the Bible says, for worshipers who are inspired by his words and it will worship according to that. Then our need will fall away to rewrite a verse so that it's a little bit more emotive. Then our need will fall away to say something in a way that it could be tweeted or captured on video, whatever it might be, so that it could be shared. Is the word of God in its pure form still enough for you? Do you still pay attention? Do you still lean in and say, God, I want your law. I delight in it like, like David did. I delight in it like the people of Israel did. It's in that relationship with him and with his word that true worship will rise up. Do you know there's moments in the Bible where God turns his ears away from the singing of the people? He says, you draw near to me and you sing. And I'm tired of your noise. Because you've not been doing what my word says. And in every nation summer's the west, we will be a city of God that lean into this and live according to this. Because then when we sing on Sunday mornings like we did this morning, there's something special. Because then we're surrounded by people who truly believe every word that God has said. And it's in that, not in the emotion, not in the rewrite, not in a new thought or an own invention. It is in the pure word of God that true worship will go from our hearts 
to, to him. What's the end of all of this? Why am I so passionate about this? Right at the end of this moment, the leader spoke to the people and said, now, this is a holy day. Go back, eat the fat, do some banting, drink sweet wine, and share your food with one another because God is good. You see, when the word of God was reestablished in the city, it transformed the city. There was a new culture that sparked up again, a new way of life that was initiated again in that moment because we heard the word of God. Words are not the word, and that causes true, authentic worship. And you know what I love is that Jesus is leading this house. And as long as we build according to his words, the worship will always be authenticated. Of that I'm so sure. Then I know our songwriters can write songs because they sit with the Bible and they write it in a way that it rhymes in our English language. If we had to sing Psalm 119 in English, it's gonna sound terrible because it was written in Hebrew rhyme with the right words at the right places. Actually, I want to encourage you to go and read Psalm 119 this week. Study it. 26 perfectly written out phrases or stanzas as we speak in poetry. Same rhythm, same rhyme. Imagine how, how David sang that to God and it was the word of God revealed to him. I believe in a transformed city of the Helderberg. Do you agree with me? I believe, I'm going to say this, I believe in a transformed city of the Helderberg. That's what this series is all about. That's why we are multiplying so that more people can find a seat here on a Sunday morning. And all we have to do is say, God, we're not building on flimsy dominoes. We are building on the solid foundation of your word. And from that, we will be steered and sparked into true worship. And then we will see God do the rest. Then we will see God using our lives to touch our spheres of influence, our mission field, our neighbors around us. I read a, I saw a video this week of a church. They say your mission field is the 10 homes around you. Just focus there. And people are coming to know Jesus like this. Let's rise up. I realized that there might have been convicting moments in what I share today. Because that's what God does. He comes gently with his spirit and he just nudges our hearts and he says you know what Pierre shoot pay attention because I've got more for you than what you currently have or understand so some of you might feel a sense of conviction this morning you're not alone at the end of this story the people were crying because like oh my goodness sure that's the law of God said they were crying and then the leader said don't cry it's joyful because in it you will find life so go back eat your fat drink your wine and share generously with everyone around you who doesn't have food and wine and that was the end result of the word of God being established again in the city and the enemy might come to you this morning or your own thoughts and your own inventions might tell you I'm not even worthy right now to sing you aren't 
but because of the cross you are. Because of the finished work of Jesus, 